As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will make it possible to materialize your assets in real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investment in owner-occupied properties. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado and will be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.io today to register your interest and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. Welcome, guys. How are you doing? What's up, buddy? I'm so glad you joined us today, Hoddle. I'm really psyched to get to hang out and talk with you. You're like one of probably one of my very favorite people in all of Bitcoin. So back when I was trying to figure out Bitcoin, figure out, you know, little, little backstory back when I was just a crypto hack schmuck back in the like 2016, 2017, 2018, learned a huge lesson, got wrecked, and then finally went down the rabbit hole in kind of late 2018, early 2019. You were one of the main people that I learned from. I used to go on to Clubhouse and listen to you just go off for, you know, hours about Bitcoin and the philosophy of it and, and all that. And so I've got mad respect for you and your opinions and, and where you've come from. So really excited to spend the hour here with you. Dude, I appreciate that. I also feel like we're both, run, we always run into each other at conferences and like we, we, it's always like the end of the night where like somebody is pulling me away and we still haven't gotten to have like a proper drink. You know what I mean? So that needs to happen. Yeah. Someday, someday we're going to have that drink together. Maybe Miami, Miami in May, if you're going to be there. I'm gonna... Yeah, let's, let's we'll, do it. We'll finally do it. And it looks like we got Dylan and Sam here too. How you guys doing? Yo, yo. What's up, Hoddle? Hey, guys. Yeah, if, in case you guys didn't know, Hoddle, Hoddle bullied me to leave college and made fun of and made fun of the size of my stack during the, the 2020 you know, post-COVID lows. So, and honestly, in 2019, before I was even participating on Bitcoin Twitter, in high school, I was reading Bitcoin Twitter, watching you just bully noob. And it was, it was, it was great. Learned a lot, man. It's, it's an honor to chat. And uh, now in this depth uh... there at 17K. Listen, that's untrue. All I never bullied any noobs. I just provided some encouragement. Okay, that's all I ever did. Yeah, Hanel strongly encourages people to consider an alternative pathway. Yours, I remember Dylan hit me up when I think you were like, were you a senior year of high school? Were you like in between high school and college? And Dylan was like, "Bro, everybody in my life is telling me I should go to college, and I just want to do Bitcoin full time." And I was like, "Dude." You should 1,000% do Bitcoin full-time. Like, probably, like, the most irresponsible advice I could have given Dylan. <laughs> I was like, you have to go for it. And now look at Dylan. He's, like, one of the most famous people on Bitcoin Twitter. Doesn't matter. But, like, it was, it's just, I think it's, you you preach. And, and I think what a lot of, you know, big, being a Bitcoiner is, like, fundamentally. You, have, you had that epic rip on, I think it was McCormick, about, like, you know, Bitcoin maximalism. But it's very true in the sense that, like, it's it, there there is a meaning there's like to a consistent message and to like to understand it's it's far more than just rainbows and unicorns casinos and fucking like honestly degeneracy for for lack of a better term in terms of these crypto markets and like there's something much deeper here you know obviously the tide is washed out and we're here so what a time 
Yeah, basically everything that Hoddle said about two years ago about anything crypto related sounded like he was psychotic and just really mean. And, you know, all he wanted was bad things to happen to nice people in crypto. And I'd, I'd say as of now, what probably 90 percent of every prediction or everything you said would happen has happened. And, you know, we're still waiting for the final shoes to drop before this this bear market is over. But uh, it's it's such a fuck. It's so annoying. <laughs> goddamn annoying like you know the the crypto people like present themselves like we're doing rainbow unicorn sparkle protocols and if we're just allowed to do it we can make the world like such a good place and these meanie heads over here the maxis just don't want us to succeed and then you look at like you know like the widespread criminality that was going on at ftx right it's like and he's still you know and then he's like admitting to the reporter in the DMs that like, yeah, I don't believe any of this shit, bro. Fucking effective altruism. Like, what a fucking joke that is, right? You're just like, oh my God. And yet we still have to deal with all of these people on a consistent basis. Dude, it's so frustrating. You don't so understand how innovative Soul was, man. It was, it was, you don't understand the innovation of, you know, copy-paste Ethereum with that more centralized with a, you know, a shittier ICO. Like, I think I think the maxis, including myself, were right about a lot of things, not everything, but a lot of things like from the 18, 19, 20 time frame. But one one thing we weren't right about our biggest blind spot of like a point of willful ignorance that most of us shared collectively. And I certainly was as guilty as anybody was we wanted to believe that the world would suddenly become rational and everybody would see things that the way, the way that we see them and there wouldn't be a another alt season or another massive shitcoin bubble. And that was just so fucking wrong. It was so wrong. And it, you know, obviously we're finding out a lot of things now that there was a lot of paper Bitcoin. There was a lot of criminality. There was a lot of things going on that really did materially affect Bitcoin's price rise during like the 2021 timeframe. And on top of that, we had, you know, basically the world went from laughing at us to fighting us during the 2021 timeframe. So not only were we getting knifed in the back by the shit coiners, but the powers that be were also trying to stop our ascent. And so we had like the China mining ban. You know, there was like repeated meetings on Capitol Hill about Bitcoin and what to do about it in cryptocurrency more broadly and blah, blah, blah. And so I think like us all expecting once you like swallow the orange pill yourself or I took it as a suppository, it's more effective that way. But once, once you get the orange pill in your system, you basically like kind of assume that like everybody is going to level up alongside you at some point and that is true but it's just going to happen in such a slower fashion than a lot of us realize i mean if you're here now and you like are one of the hardcore bitcoin believers i personally think there's only about ten thousand of us in the whole fucking world and i mean that. i mean like people who really understand bitcoin who have a significant percentage of their net worth in bitcoin who are you know long ten thousand yeah, I think it's 10,000, dude. Hmm? Like, yeah, 100%. Miller. No, it's got to be more than that, right? No, no way. We keep, no, we keep joking. You could fit all of us in a conference, and we literally do once a year. This time it's in Miami. <laughs> okay, guys, yeah. let's go around in a social and just, and just chant. Do you understand? <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I think that, like, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing what's going on is that there's a, there's a changeover happening where you know, money is like a is like a language that we learn when we're young and we unlock things in our environment using language. 
and we unlock things in our environment using money. So it's like a language. Like when you're a child, I'm watching it now with my own small children. You know, if you want the ball, you have to learn the word ball. And then you point to the ball and then you learn the word. And then, you know, mommy brings you the ball or whatever. Same thing when you go into a store. My older kids are like looking at the toys in the store being like, damn, I really want to take that fucking bear home. How much does that bear cost? And then they learn that basically like we give, you know, these magical pieces of paper over to the cashier at the Target and we get to go home with the bear. That's like an unlock. So we learn that language when we're very young. It's like a background program you always have running in your mind. And I think that a core part of the Bitcoin story is about upgrading that monetary language that we learn. And it, this is why it's such a long, complex process to basically like understand Bitcoin is because it's like learning a new language midstream in adult life, which is an extremely difficult thing to do. It'd be a lot easier for the people that are born into the system, right? And so basically there are a bunch of people at the interchange of this like new monetary conversion of language who are, you know, attempting to capitalize on sort of the old bad software that people have in their heads. And this is where the idea of like yield on Bitcoin comes from, because we're basically like default Keynesians and we come from this inflationary culture. And so you're very used to intuitively feeling like you must do something with your money. And when you tell people like something like BlockFi it doesn't make sense from a risk reward profile because you you have a 6% and then later a four and a three and a two and a one percent upside for a possible 100% downside, people aren't used to doing this math, right? Because people have not grown up uh, with a disinflationary currency. They've grown up with an inflationary currency. And so basically the entire crypto industry at large is set up to take advantage of people as they come here to convert their monetary software or the monetary OS that's running in their heads. That's the entire industry. That's all it is. There's nothing real there. It's just a bunch of charlatans and grifters taking advantage of the information asymmetry they have on the new market participants. Yeah, to your point, Hoddle, I've been amazed at the amount of otherwise extremely intelligent venture capitalists that get sucked into crypto. And, and you know, because why is that? Because, you know, it's, it's a very quick time to payment, right? And they don't have to have any proof of concept. And so seeing otherwise intelligent people get sucked into that world, for me, has been really discouraging. But, uh, but I, think, I think a lot of them are learning the lesson right now, you know, including hedge funds, other people that had, you know, ties to FTX and these other, these other organizations that have gone down fast. It's tough to watch, but, but that's everybody has to get orange-pilled somehow. I like the, I like the way you said you, you took your orange pill up. Med, med speak, we call that PR, a one orange pill PR per room. And, and uh, that's, that's how you get it. That's how I got mine back in 2017, 2018. Well, I don't think the VCs are confused. I think the VCs have bad incentives. And, you know, one phrase you always hear from the VCs is short time to liquidity, which means we're first into the Ponzi and we're first out of the Ponzi. And we don't care that it's Ponzi. And they're basically like, hey, you remember like the old days of venture capital when, you know, we had to like take a 10 year bet on something? And a lot of them would fail and like only a few would survive. Well, this is like we get to take the 10 year bet, but we get to extract all of the value up front. Oh, and then, yeah, we zombified the companies and they never become anything. Oh, and it's all illegal securities and we get paid handsomely for this. Oh, and we're doing round trip deals with <laughs> FTX. It, dude, it's the the incentives are perverse across the board for venture capital, venture capital. And we're moving into an environment that's less easy money you know, whether it's the Fed tightening or through Bitcoin or both, like we're going, the days of easy money venture capitalism are qu quickly coming to a close. And so the spray and pray way that they do business is not good. You're not gonna be able to operate that way any longer.
But, but Hoddle, to your earlier point, one of the things that most surprised you, one of the things that most surprised me was these quote unquote savvy VCs that were supposed to be pumping and dumping. They never actually dumped. Instead, they drank their own Kool-Aid. And I don't care if it's Multicoin Capital, 3A Jump, Galloway Capital, you name it. It sounds like they all round tripped and bag held to the bottom. And some of them are literally sitting on complete wipeouts. Well, listen, like they did that with LP funds, like in Multicoin's case, but did they do that with their personal funds? Like if I was an LP and I saw, you know, one of them living in a $20 million mansion, I would have a lot of questions. You know what I mean? Thankfully, I'm not a shitcoin LP, so I have zero questions. But like, it's, it's kind of hilarious they believe the story. You know what I mean? Like, like otherwise intelligent people, like you, like you said, that I believe that that through the magic of blockchain, you had, you could have you could get a six percent yield on stable coins, like through like through you know pure innovation, right? Like that was you know the DeFi was like I I mean I get over collateralized lending and borrowing against you know centrally permissioned stable coin rails, you know on an ERC twenty blockchain I get it, but like people people believe that that all of the that the, all of these L1s were worth $100 billion plus. And then they're in, like, like SBF literally talked about when he talked about that DeFi boom, like especially the, the second one in, in 2021. He's like, oh yeah, like one of these magic boxes is worth 200 million. So why shouldn't the other one also be at 100 million? These are productive assets now because the fees feed back into the token. And it's like the fact that that ponds you into however much of, of total market capitalization was, yeah, yeah I mean, is it going to happen again? Like, Otto, you said people, we thought people learned their lesson. Is there just going to be like the, in the next Bitcoin cycle, whenever that comes? Because most people here, and I do, maybe some people don't, don't believe Bitcoin hits all new all-time highs, but I do, and I'm here for it. But regardless, like when that happens, we're just going to probably run back the whole leverage Ponzi to incredible heights. And everyone's going to say this time is different. And then Bitcoin probably falls 70%. And like crashes the global economy yep. or something. No, I mean, I, I would plan for another shitcoin bubble. I think, I think, you know, the big lesson I've learned is that you don't want to be willfully ignorant about, you know, the sorts of crazy bullshit that's going to happen in shitcoin land. One of the things I personally think is that I think the next bubble is going to be centered around identity. I think that's the next narrative du jour for the Ethereum crowd. I'm not sure how it shakes out, but I can tell you, they're going to basically be doing some form of digital slavery and also making like a hat tip to the surveillance panopticon that the WEF wants all in one fell swoop, all as an extraction mechanism. Like, listen, you know, you have to give them credit for this. They're really good con men. I mean, they're so good at it. Like they just keep doing it over and over and over again. Some I had a friend who's like a more recent entrant and he was asking me, he was like, I don't understand why you guys hate Ethereum. Like, I get that it's a piece of shit, but why do you actually hate it? Why does it trigger you so much? And, you know, a couple of us who are more like OG in the room were basically like, listen, man, if you had been around for, you know, the entirety of Ethereum's existence, like some of us have, watching Ethereum switch narratives every couple of years and then dealing with a wave of people who all wholeheartedly believe in the new Ethereum narrative is so aggravating and so annoying. And there's nothing falsifiable that any of these quote unquote investors in Ethereum that would cause them to shake, you know, their shake their confidence or lose interest in the project. Like, you know, at first Ethereum was code as law, and then it was a world computer. 
And then it was decentralized finance and NFTs. And there's always these like new words that people learn in these shitcoin bubbles. And they start like spouting things at you like, oh, I guess you just don't care about artists. And it's like, wait, wait, what the fuck? When did you start caring about artists? What the fuck are you talking about? Or the bit, bro, it's all about a provenance, dude. Digital provenance. You're like, dude, literally, like you didn't pass junior, j- junior fucking college, man. When did you learn the word provenance? Like three days ago? What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, what's happening? <laughs> and you just have to go through this cycle every like three years. And it's like, I feel like I'm living in Groundhog Day and nothing ever gets resolved. There's never any regulations that stop all these illegal securities from propagating. It seems like the politicians are bought and paid for by the shitcoin lobbyists. And you're just sitting there being like, I don't know what to do. I don't know whether I should be super toxic about this. Should I go out and try and regulate it as a market participant? Should I put my head in the sand? Should I attempt to take advantage of it? Like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? You're sitting there being like, this is maddening, basically. We yeah, we have a lot of discussions about that at Bitcoin Magazine Pro. You know, we talk daily with Dylan, Sam, and a couple other guys, and and we literally talk about this. Like, do we call this stuff out and be like, look like the bad guys trying to be mean to the you know the crypto space again, or you know, or do we just kind of let it go and be like, you know, they got to learn somehow? But you really do battle that as a Bitcoiner. You're like, do we fight the good fight? and try to pull the crypto people over to our side while they're still solvent? Or do we wait till after they've become insolvent? And then and then they actually just understand the way at that point. You know, they, they've, they've taken their orange bill PR at that point. Uh, yeah, it's dude. I mean, I've been here eight years now at this point in, in Christmas, like around Christmas time, at the end of this month, it'll be eight years for me. And I have tried every tactic in the book and nothing works. So if anybody else, like what, however you choose to deal with it is fine by me because nobody has a good answer for it. That's a good distinction though, Jeff, the one between being a Bitcoiner and being a maximalist. I think that's part of where that line is drawn is our disdain as maximalists for the things that are happening and, and our and our willingness and, and our inherent like want to help others protect them from the crypto scams. I think that's that's a good line to draw. I think it just takes time. Like the difference between the last, you know, last cycle's bear run and this one is pretty interesting to me. Just that in the previous one, everyone was saying this is the end of Bitcoin. This is the end of crypto. No one is saying that this time, or at least not loudly. And I, I would like to think that as we progress through more and more cycles, the truth percolates a little bit more each time. And maybe people get a little bit more inoculated against it. But maybe that's wishful thinking. The Bitcoin Magazine podcast is brought to you by CrowdHealth. With open enrollment upon us, what if you didn't have to pay healthcare premiums anymore? What if you can invest in Bitcoin instead? With CrowdHealth, you can choose your doctors, put aside money for your health expenses in your own account, and even hold a large part of it in Bitcoin. Pay one low monthly total to fund an account that is yours. If a large expense comes up, CrowdHealth will crowdfund the bill for you to pay quickly. Go to CrowdHealthBTC.com and use code BTCMAG and experience freedom from health insurance by utilizing Bitcoin. Right now, through the end of the year, you can get your first six months for just $99 per month. Don't get stuck in a bad insurance plan again. Instead, go to CrowdHealthBTC.com and use code BTCMAG to sign up. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare terms and conditions may apply. 
Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. So, Hoddle, let's let's talk about the state of Bitcoin right now, right? So we've been in this kind of rough bear market this whole this whole year. Equities are down to like everything's down. Everything's getting hammered. The dollar's been pretty strong, although it actually just broke below its 200 day moving average today for the first time in like a year and a half, which I think is uh, pretty important. But like where where is Bitcoin right now? You're, you're, you've been in here, you said, for eight years. I, I know you're, you know, pretty heavily on a bit of a Bitcoin standard with you and your families, you know, finances. I don't want to get into too much stuff, but. But like, what, how are you feeling about the state of Bitcoin today? And like, where do you think we're going to be in the next couple of years? Uh, yeah, so I'm 100% Bitcoin, you know, and it's like when you're 100% Bitcoin, you really feel it strongly. And you know, a, a large part of the hodling journey is just like soothing those, those emotions or whatever emotional volatility comes from being heavily exposed to an extremely volatile asset, right? And certainly like having a high degree of information asymmetry doing the work is very helpful. So, you know, I just have spent every day for the last eight years learning about Bitcoin. And even still, I've only barely scratched the surface, right? I think like in terms of predictions, listen, I'm also, I'm the guy who lost a half of Bitcoin to McCormick saying we were going above 300K. So maybe my powers of predictive analysis are not that great. So disclaimer, take this with however many grains of salt you want, right? But Making predictions are fun. And so I'm going to make one again, because fuck all of you. <laughs> Basically, for me, I think we've, I think we've bottomed. Like, I, and I'm, I feel pretty strongly about that. There's certainly a lot of indications to the contrary, but there always are at these sorts of moments. I think a big tell for me was seeing a lot of people who I'm not going to name names, but just like a lot of people who I greatly respect go out and tout outright conspiracy theories about like all of GBTC's Bitcoins being fake bitcoins <laughs> yeah it's like listen there's a lot of problems with gbtc but i i do think it's still a pretty significant conspiracy theory that all of the bitcoins are fake you know like that's probably not true and so when the fear is so thick that people are promoting that it's to me it's kind of like an obvious tell that you know we're pretty low that said no matter what the actual bottom tick is on this bear market 16k is an absolutely like gift from the gods if you're stacking like these are tremendous prices and you know, you're not going to get it right. I'll tell you like, okay. So in 18, I was saving up cash the whole year. I, I actually started saving in 17, which was a bit of a mistake because I started saving when the Bitcoin price was like 800, I took my foot off the gas. So that was a fuck up. I should have kept going, you know, at least until like 5,000 or something, but I started saving up cash and I have, a, I had a significant amount of cash to deploy. And when we were at like 6,600 late in 2018, I was like, this is it. We fucking, we've bottomed. Doesn't look like it's going much further. And I put half of my slug in there. And then, you know, we quickly fell 50%, which is like, you know, it's an important, it's an important thing to have happen to you. If you haven't had that experience of like putting in a big sum and then watching it drop 50%, are you really even in Bitcoin? You know what I mean? 
So anyway, then I remember like if you guys weren't around, little history lesson during the last bear market, uh, Marad and Tone Vase and the Hyperwave guys, Tyler Jenks, Leah Wald, mm, like 2020. Yeah, right. There was well, this was like 18, like late 18, early 19. The bears were just totally on parade. And there was a lot of people saying it was going to a thousand. A lot of people saying it was going to 800. And so, you know, when it, when we hit to like, we hit like 33, 3400, I just started plowing in the rest of my, the rest of my cash I had on hand. And I felt really bad about it. Like the buys felt like shit. I remember I made a really significant buy at like 3,400 and I had to take a walk around the block because I was just literally feeling like the stupidest person ever. And like, I had like destroyed my financial future. Because I was listening to all the people on Twitter who were saying that, you know, another 50% correction was inevitable, et cetera. So usually if you're feeling sick to your stomach when you make the buy, it's usually a pretty good buy. That's kind of like something you can use to reckon your way through the bear market. That said, probably the bear market will extend for another, I don't know, 12, 18, 24, 36 months. I don't know how long you're going to get. But every day that you have Bitcoin below 20K is like an obvious day to stack, in my opinion, especially if you just even if you're just it's even easier now, because all you have to do now is say, I believe in the thesis that Bitcoin will retake its former all time highs. And if you believe in that thesis, there's what, like almost a 4x on the table. So it's kind of a no brainer to me. Dylan, what do you think? Are we approaching the bottom here? Tyler, Tyler Rush is talking to me right now. No, yeah, I, I think we're I think we're close, man. I mean, I uh, we, we've seen basically the biggest capitulation in, in crypto history, obviously in, in absolute terms. But I, I still think that there's some more mining pain to go and we're going to get another equity risk off. So I, I have cash. I have Bitcoin and cold storage sleeping like a baby. But like, you know, nothing would surprise me at this point in terms of, you know, if we get another dollar, dollar like rip up, like all of these things, people should just, you know, have have possibilities, probabilities built into their to their mental model and be fine either way. Like I mean, I mean I'm not a forced seller of Bitcoin at any point. So I'm chilling and Bitcoin goes a little bit higher, I'll I'll buy it. I'm not calling bottom, I guess, if if that's the if that's my answer. The important important point I think is to you know, if you have a long-term time horizon with Bitcoin, don't get too emotional about any of these buys in the bear market. Buy now, buy later, buy every point in between and just keep buying. Like, don't put yourself in a position to be a forced seller like Dylan was talking about. Like, I'll tell you this, in 18, 19, like I came into Bitcoin the end of 14, like the very end of 14. So really I'm class of 2015 and I went pretty hard in 15. But it was still very, you know, weird at that time. And like, I felt like I was really stupid for investing in Bitcoin. And then like, I hadn't had my, you know, my bias confirmed for me. And then when we hit 20K in 17, then I was like, oh, okay. Like, I'm right. I'm like right in a big way. And it made the 18, 19, 20 bear market a lot easier for me. And I was earning really good money at the time. So I just started just going hard as fuck and basically just put my blinders on and just, you know, Every spare dollar I had, I, I put into Bitcoin. And I'll tell you this, even at, you know, 16, nine or whatever we're sitting at right now, I don't regret any of those buys. And I think it's going to be the same for anybody who stacks now and then goes through the next bull cycle. We also have to remember too, like, 
I 100% agree. But they're like, they're, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, are five or 10% or 20% allocated. And so like, or even 1%, right? And so that's a, like, I mean, this is so cliche, but position sizing, like some people don't want to be, you know, feel, feel sick when, when making Bitcoin purchases. <laughs> and that's great. But honestly, like, you know, what's better than, what's better than catching like legendary bear market knives at the same time? Listen, if you don't want to be sick to your stomach when making a Bitcoin purchase, all I have to say to you is that is why no one will remember your name. Okay. I would go and call wish it at, at March 12th. So, you know, and I, American Auto was yelling at me to do it. Yeah, March 12th was, was wild, man. You know, I, I remember it was interesting because on March 12th, you had a bunch of, you know, you had a huge sell-off in traditional assets, right? And I remember, you know, I was listening to TFTC, Kyle Bass was on, it was raining outside. I went outside and had a whiskey and it was just kind of like, fuck, you know, and I was like listening to that episode of TFTC and I came in and it like all snapped into focus for me. And I was like, what's about to happen? I told my wife, I was like, what's about to happen is going to be extremely bad for the world and extremely good for us. Yeah. And that turned out to be really right. And, you know, in a, in a really fast fashion, like the swing, if you were in Bitcoin at that time, the swing on your net worth between March 12th, 2020 and March 12th, 21 was just insane, dude. You know what I mean? So like, it's, it's interesting because you can get, tr you can get stuck in this trap of recency bias, thinking that, you know, the things that are happening now are going to continue happening into the future. But in Bitcoin, things can change on a dime and rapidly to the upside or the downside. So, so by the way, since we're reminiscing about these these hard times, part of the reason why I'm not convinced that we've bottomed yet is because we haven't had that moment yet this year or next year. I'm still waiting for that moment where you feel like you're going to die because you're buying Bitcoin or you feel really stupid or you're actually starting to believe like, wow, maybe... Maybe, maybe those guys, were, maybe Peter Schiff is right. And it really is going to zero. Maybe, maybe I should just buy gold. You know, that moment that I had that the last time I felt that was back. I think it was in a June or July of 2021. Remember when China banned mining and it just crashed and it kept going down, down, down. And it just felt terrible because we were all knew that it was supposed to be going parabolic, but instead it was heading in the wrong direction. I still had that like, really intense sphincter tightening moment where I, I was buying and I was like literally sweating. I'm like, oh gosh, I think, oh, I really hope this is the right decision. You know, it, it's been a while since I felt that. I haven't felt that since then. I don't know what, what you guys feel about that, but I, I'm still waiting for that capitulation type moment to happen again this cycle. But Well, what's interesting about March 12th is that it wasn't actually at the low. You know, March 12th was like 3,800 or something. And the low was actually at the end of 2018. So, you know, you may get the low, you may book it, and then, you know, a year and a half later, you think you've put it in the rear view and then it comes back to fuck with you. You know what I mean? Like, and that is always a very harrowing moment. Hey, so let's let's change topics a little bit from price action here. Let's put on our tinfoil hats, talk about conspiracy uh, theories a little bit. Hoddle, I know you know the answer to this. Why is the media protecting Sam Bankman-Fried? Like, what is going on? Why is he not in jail or standing yeah. So my thoughts on SBF are as follows. Either he is engaged in, you know, a PR campaign to alleviate himself of criminal liability and that, you know, it's coordinated from that side of things, or he's acting with some sort of knowledge that he has some level of immunity from criminal liability. 
And I don't know, like, I'm, I'm going to take it slowly day by day and assess where we're at with that. But I, I think if you don't see an, if you don't see an indictment of SBF by the end of Q1 23, I think that starts to feel very weird to me. Right. And if you don't see an indictment of him by the end of 23, that starts to feel really strange to me. And if we don't see him in prison by 25, 26, yeah, I'm full. The tinfoil hat is on, you know. Wow. You think it could take that long, though? 25, 26? Well, well, think about it. Theranos blew up in Theranos blew up in 16. Lizzie Holmes just got sentenced like a couple of weeks ago. So these things do take a long time to be you know, basically vivisected. And there's going to be a lot of bullshit that comes out. And there's going to be trials. There's going to be lawsuits. There's going to be indictments. I mean, it's all coming, I think. And if it, because I'm anticipating that, if it doesn't come, it certainly stinks like something is deeply wrong. You're, you guys yeah. are ready for Sam to come launch his, his new L1 uh, chain that is going to change the world. Jesus. And it's going to be, it's just going to be a spinoff of Ethereum in some way. Uh, with Hoddle's stupid identity thing, and uh, exactly. he's gonna build. He's gonna, you know, Ponzi. He's gonna Ponzi a trillion dollars. <laughs> you know? It is. Go ahead, Dylan. Sorry, I think it, due process is gonna take. It's gonna take its time here. But I mean, we all know he's guilty. So hopefully, all the people involved can learn from it. But I think that was his trial in terms of a public trial. I think you're dealing with a world class crisis management team that's gonna get him off the hook through public relations in this it is so crazy to me that someone can defraud millions of americans for the amount of money that he did and people are like maybe he's not a bad guy but if you do other categories of crime like white collar crime just pays every fucking time it's so crazy to me. dude i don't know if anybody listened to benham cfdc chair this morning and you know his commentary but he was being asked by senators like what his what his perception of the you know how many how many american citizens were involved in this fiasco and he trotted out the figure two percent he said two percent of ftx international customers were american and then he was like you know maybe there are sophisticated actors who can use a vpn it's like okay first of all dude you don't have to be that sophisticated to use a vpn like it's a pretty easy thing to do like a lot of people use them, Every right? Every 13-year-old, yeah. And then number two, America's 40% of the global financial market. This was being heavily advertised to U.S. consumers. And so the idea that the number is 2% and not something like 50% is asinine to me. Like, it's certainly much more like 50%. And I think once those sorts of stories start hitting, like, the New York AG's office, like, you know, certainly they're going to find a U.S. nexus, and then they're going to have to take him down. And if they don't, it signals that he's protected from on high. But see, I don't think they have to do anything, right? If they can convince the American people that it was only 2%, which they're clearly trying to do, then even though it's closer to whatever it is, 50%, like those 50%, they look in the mirror, they watch these stories unfurl, and they're like, I guess I was just part of a small, concerted minority. I fucked up here. Like, it's, yep, he's right. He's right. I mean, it is not coincidence that SPF keeps saying over and over, look, the FTX US, they're 100% solvent. They're 100% one-to-one backed assets. I don't even know why they turned off withdrawals. Like, if I was still in charge, they'd have withdrawals on and everyone could have already taken their money out. That is not by mistake that he repeats that no matter which media outlet he's talking to. 
Yeah, I like, listen, normie opinion and public opinion is important. It's important to shape public perception from the point of view of public relations if you think this is going to jury trial. And clearly they do think it's going to jury trial. So that's why he's wanting to get out ahead of it. But, you know, I don't think that normies have any meaningful input on, you know, which indictments or which actions get brought. And so, you know, if we are seeing a functioning judicial system, which, you know, it has flaws, but I think more or less the judicial system is one of the stronger parts of American, you know, institutions. I do think that we are going to see indictments and we are going to see criminal charges leveled against SBF. Oh, man, I'm so much more pessimistic. I I think that the primary driver of of how this is going to play out is going to be public outcry. I think it's going to be whether or not political figures feel like their constituents are going to judge them harshly for not coming down one way or the other on this. And I think the, the, the fact that he was, that he just did that interview, right. Which just seemed insane to all of us. I think that is again, part of this brilliant crisis management strategy where it's like the average person looks at that and they're like, I mean, would someone who was the mastermind like really get up in front of America and say that stuff if they were actually guilty? That's right. really crazy, you know? All, all of that is true, but remember, I gave a timeline for my prediction, so I expect an indictment before the end of Q1. If we don't get it, then, you know, the tinfoil hat goes on. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I would also say, Pete, never underestimate the power of the next day. I mean, the public ability to just forget is astounding. One thing I hate about the SBF drama is that, you know, he's being conveniently scapegoated by everybody in crypto. And, you know, they don't have to look at in the mirror at their own sins, basically, or what caused this. They can just point to him and be like, well, we had a uniquely bad actor. We had a fox in the hen house here and blah, 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 blah. That's blah. a great point. And that's, that's, that's point. what annoys me the most. Hey, I got, I want to change subjects again. So let's take our tinfoil hats off. Let's put on our futurist hats here. And uh, Hoddle, you're a great philosopher in Bitcoin. You're, you're, you have a, a uncanny ability to, to uh, figure out what life on a Bitcoin standard is going to look like. So, so just pumping you up a little bit. So, you know, we live in this current fiat system, right? It's credit-based. Everybody takes loans out. Debt is awesome. Debt is celebrated. That's how the, the, the economy expands, all this kind of stuff. But then we have these huge boom and bust cycles. What, what do you think life looks like? So say, say 10 years, let's fast forward to 2032. 10 years from now, we're, and let's say we, we had a hyper-Bitcoinization decade, which, which is amazing and, and took a lot of people by surprise. What do you think life looks like on a Bitcoin standard if the world's on a Bitcoin standard? Like, does debt exist? Like, Man, yeah, so this is a cautionary title, actually. Like, I, I don't even think that you want hyper-Bitcoinization. I think you want Bitcoinization, but I don't think you want it to be hyper. And 2032 is a really accelerated time frame. And I think this is a flaw in the mental model of a lot of Bitcoiners. And I, I myself have been guilty of this in the past, which is we, we, we do the work on Bitcoin. We evaluate it from first principles. And then we come to this understanding that this is inevitable, which is all true. That part of the story is true. And then we make this mistake, this leap of logic where we go, the world is going to look basically the exact same, except I am going to be rich off of my Bitcoin. You know, it's like, no, dude, the world is going to be drastically reshaped, you know, by Bitcoin and by the, you know, the changeover of the changeover of, of the monetary paradigm. And if it happens rapidly, it's actually a pretty terrifying world that you don't necessarily want to live in. And it also puts the target squarely on the back of Bitcoiners. So I'm not really hopeful for hyper Bitcoinization. I'm hoper I'm hopeful for Bitcoinization. And in my conception of things, I think that by 2032, 
I think Bitcoin will be functioning like the reserve asset of the world. And I think we'll, the world will basically be on a shadow Bitcoin standard, but there will still be sovereigns issuing fiat currency. Bitcoin will have squarely taken the, the place of gold by that time. And in some sense, it'll be the shadow peg to all floating central bank digital currencies. Wow, huddle. Okay. What kind of market cap are you thinking by 2032? Is that 10 trillion? Is that 30? No. So by, by 2030, I expect, what is, I'm trying to do the market cap math in my head. 10 trillion is roughly half a million a coin. So Correct. I expect, I expect 2 million a coin. So we're at like 40 to That's 50 like, trillion in my conception. Closer to 60 is that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. So 60, okay. 60 trillion market cap. I also think, unfortunately, here's the black pill. I think the crypto shitcoin bubble is going to go to like 50 trillion itself. And, you know, it's actually very <laughs> It's very scary when we reach a place in which the shitcoin bubble is $50 trillion because it could meaningfully take down the global economy at that point. Yeah, that's the actual scary thing is the level of contagion unwinding and these the cycles continue. Well, and here's the black pill again, not to be like a pessimist, but I want Bitcoiners to be very cogent about how they're looking at this, which is that, you know, we all want to think that we learn. Yeah, we okay. So we learned the lessons. And I certainly thought this after the ICOs. I was like, well, we obviously learned that ICOs are bullshit and they don't work. And we've all learned the lessons. And what I didn't anticipate is that there's an order of magnitude, new players, new market entrants who haven't learned any of the fucking lessons from before. And so if you assume that, you know, there was a hundred ish million people here, maybe a hundred, 200 million people here. And you, this time around, and you assume there's going to be an order of magnitude, you have 900 million people who didn't learn any of these fucking lessons. Like, dude, we're just, we're in for it all over again, which is going to be so annoying. 100%. And by the way, by the way, there's two orders of magnitude before we've saturated the world. So there's probably two shitcoin bubbles left to go. You still believe in the four-year Bitcoin cycles? Do you think that is what affects and drives the price of Bitcoin or is it anything else? Okay, let me give you a let me give you my long-winded evasive answer here. So, in the beginning, I think the halving cycle absolutely affected the Bitcoin price because it happened in the beginning and even though it has a diminishing effect going forward, I think that it's a pattern that's reflexive in the human mind. And so, you know, we're going to see a four-year pattern repeat in Bitcoin because market participants believe a four-year pattern will repeat in Bitcoin. That answer is a little wishy-washy. But I believe it to be true. Yeah, that's kind of my view on it as well. Yeah, when it's also like, look at where we're at. I mean, you know, 2022 feels a lot like 2018. They feel almost exactly the same to me. 2021 and 2017 felt exactly the same. I'm anticipating next year feeling very much like 2019. And I don't see any reason why this would stop anytime soon. And the cycle, last cycle, confirmed our economic planning and beliefs. I mean, why would we not economically plan around the next one? I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. What's been fascinating for me from coming from a macro point of view is watching how the macro like business cycle and, you know, liquidity cycles around the world have also kind of coincided with the Bitcoin cycles too. That's what I'm trying to tease out myself. Like, is that just pure coincidence? Are they somehow interrelated? I, I don't really know, but I don't, think, don't you think it lines up like whether coincidentally or by design with American, American presidential elections, yeah, which yeah. Has, a, has a large effect on macro? 
Yep. And they always do. Right. I mean, like right now we're in, we're in that time period. It's that special period from when it's the third year of a presidential election cycle from what is it? October, November through May of the following year, which is what we're in right now. Those are the stocks perform the best out of all four years during this little time cycle right now. So it'll be interesting to see because I have a pretty bearish view of the macro, you know, the economic cycle, but stocks are supposed to perform well. And honestly, so far they have. They've surprised me to the upside. October was up. November was up. We'll, we'll see what happens going forward. But but it's it's more powerful than my cynicism so far and more powerful than than what I think the data shows that stocks should be doing. So we'll see how Bitcoin does. Yeah, the, the four year cycles are really interesting in Bitcoin. And I think you. I think you discount them at your own peril and not the other way around. I, I don't think that the people that are discounting the four-year cycles are outperforming the people that are operating under the paradigm of the four-year cycles. I think if you, would, if you were operating under the paradigm of the four-year cycles and you sold the top back in November and you're rebuying now, I mean, you're, you're crushing it in a way that I'm not because my dumb ass just hodled uh, all through it, you know, <laughs> again. Hey, it's not so bad having your net worth be down 75% in a year. That's nothing. It certainly hardens you. It hardens you in your conviction. So are you going to hodl through the next super cycle when the shit, when the shit coins are 50 trillion or are you going to, are you going to, are you going to hedge or are you just going to? Well, this is the thing is uh, being a true believer, you always, which I am, you always have to hodl. I mean, dude, in 2017, when we went from 10 K to 20 K, I was like, this is it. This is hyper Bitcoinization. And I think like, Everybody in the room who, you know, believes in Bitcoin is bought into the thesis, believes that at some point this thing does hop, hockey stick up and to the right and it, and it never comes back down. And you don't want to be the guy who was here for 10 years and then got caught, you know, off sides when that happened. That would be disastrous, right? You also don't want to be the guy who sold too early in the cycle, thought that hyper Bitcoinization was happening because there was a parabola right after you sold. FOMO'd back in at the top and then wrote it all the way down because you generated a taxable event along the way, which is fucking terrible. So really, honestly, like being humble and hodling your way through, it's extremely painful. The vast majority of the gains for hodlers come on only 11 days of the year. But as a person who's been hodling for eight years, I will put my work as a hodler, you know, my performance of my portfolio up against almost any trader who's been here. I'm sure there will be a select few who've done better than me over that period of time, but most have not. Many people get blown up along the way. You know, we're, we're hearing stories about people who were in, you know, they were all in the shit coins during, you know, the 2021 bull market. They were in NFTs, they were in DeFi, they were in this, they were in that, and they made sick gains. And then they put their money on FTX and got rug pulled by a counterparty. So it's like, I think there's some level of karmic retribution. Like every action has its equal and opposite reaction. And you shitcoin too hard. You're soon to get wrecked at some point. In my opinion, this is biblical. This is divine. Don't fuck around. Satoshi is God. I'm just kidding. But really. Though. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I like to say that not owning Bitcoin is the greatest opportunity cost in all of human history. And I, and I actually truly believe that. Like there's never been a... a dumber thing to do in all of human history than to not own Bitcoin. So, you know, and, and right now it's cheap. Right now the dollar is expensive and Bitcoin is cheap. And, you know, what smart investors do is they trade what's expensive and, and trade it for what's cheap. And then they buy well and they rarely sell. And if you can do that, you're going to do really well over over your lifetime. And Hoddle, you're a great example of that. Just just chilling out. We were, we were going back and forth a little bit on Twitter a few days ago. 
about that some old Buffett and a Howard Marks quote. And I think Howard Marks was talking about that old saying, don't just sit there, do something. And he, he turns that on its head and says, don't just do something, sit there. And Hoddle, you're saying that's, right. that's your philosophy for Bitcoin ownership. Just don't, don't just do something, sit there and, and do nothing. Well, yeah, it's basically like every human being, every biological organism on earth, actually, but like, I won't give you a whole speech about evolutionary game theory, but like basically every biological organism on earth has a bias to action because that bias to action is critical for your survival, right? And so this is something that as investors, we have to overcome and every cell in your body will be screaming at you to do something. At the top, it will be screaming at you to buy more. At the bottom, it will be screaming at you to sell. And your only job is to just ignore yourself and continue to sit still and do nothing. And people think that it's the easiest thing in the world. Like hodling is so easy. Everybody on the outside goes, well, yeah, it's so easy for you. You just bought Bitcoin and you sat on your ass and did nothing. And then you became rich. And it's like, okay, listen, hodling is extremely simple. It's very simple, dead simple, but it's not easy. It's one of the hardest things you can possibly do. And if you can go a period of 10, 20, 30 years doing nothing, not touching your Bitcoin stack, you are going to reap all of the rewards. And unfortunately, most of the rewards come at the end. That's, that's sort of how compounding works. And so it's a very long and perilous journey where you basically eat shit for an extremely long period of time. And then at the end, you get your reward. And my advice to you is if you're going to eat shit, don't nibble. I love it. And so that's another another great point here is that, you know, you know, Buffett and Munger, they get a lot of crap because they're just stupid as dirt regarding Bitcoin. Right. They, they don't understand it. I don't expect them to. They're they're old. But man, they're they're master value investors. Right. And so what I've learned, I, I've spent a lot of time in, in my reading old Buffett letters, at, you know, his annual letters to shareholders, those kind of things. If you just substitute his different value investments with Bitcoin, he has some of the greatest advice, I think, in, in all in all of the world as far as how to view Bitcoin. And basically, it's what we're talking about. Like, honestly, the number one attribute for Bitcoin hodling and to become actually wealthy over time is honestly to just to sit and do nothing. Like, especially dudes, dudes have such a hard time being patient. They have to trade. They want to they want to tell people they caught the bottom or they sold at the top, or they did all this garbage. They don't ever, you know, consider tax consequences, those kind of things. It's so wise to just sit and do nothing. And if you're a Bitcoiner, like literally the, the Matt O'Dell statement, right? To stay humble and stack sats. That's literally all you got to do. But it's, it's like the hardest thing in the world for 99% of the population. You know, the well, hardest well, thing for people to do. Oh, go ahead, Matt. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'll be here real quick. Dr. Jeff, I, I just have to jump in on this point. Everyone needs to discount what these talking heads and i don't care if it's warren buffett or larry fink are saying publicly listen warren buffett and his company invested half a billion dollars into the brazilian bank new bank last year well what news did we just see happen this year new bank is launching its own cryptocurrency hey it's own stable coin it's 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 hacking it it's opening up Bitcoin for its clientele and Brazil just passed that Bitcoin crypto law just just this last week. Like, I don't know if he does or doesn't understand at all, but he doesn't drop half a billion into a bank that's very open about it Bitcoin and crypto plans and future. Like, yeah. So, I think an important part of Matt's statement 
that uh, maybe is often overlooked is that in order to stay humble, you have to get humble. And so if you were the person who missed out on Bitcoin in its first decade of existence, and you're now coming late to the party and you're saying things like, Bitcoin is boomer tech. It's slow, dude. You like Bitcoin? It kills the planet, my guy. Do you know about that? Yeah. Do you know that one Bitcoin transaction murders 7,000 baby seals? Yeah. Straight up, bro. You no cap. Who? No cap. Like, no cap. For bu- it's, bus- it's not busting. For real. For real. No bus. And for basically, real, for like, real. yeah, listen, man, you're so fucking stupid. You missed this in the beginning. And now you're here late. Okay. So if anybody needs to be humble and not trade shit coins, it's your dumb ass. You know, you know what I mean? Like, look in the mirror and realize that you're not the smart money at the table. You're the dumb money at the table and then act accordingly. But everybody thinks they can come here and trade shit coins and then catch up to Bitcoin OGs. Like, oh, yeah, bro, I'm just going to yeah, I'm just gonna hit this bag on Doge, bro. And then me and you have the same amount of Bitcoin. It's like you'll never listen. The guys who are from a cycle before you, you'll never catch them. OK, like I don't look back at the guys from 2011 and try and match their Bitcoin stacks because. That's the road to if I do that. Yeah, they all own vineyards in Napa Valley in Virginia. It's real. Oh, did you see this got buried from yesterday? Did you see that Larry Spink had to admit that BlackRock lost twenty five million into FTX as well? They didn't want to talk about that, but have fun staying poor. Yeah, that's just all part of the the venture capital group think, right? Uh, they all see everybody, each other. They're all jumping in the same thing. They're all focused on uh, the profits they can make, the time to exit, and, and you know, leave it, leaving the retail investors as bag holders at the end. And they all they all go down together because they, you know, during good times when when liquidity is abundant around the world, they can't lose. Basically, it's like throwing darts at you know at 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 a, at a wall, it's, you can't not hit it. But when when you get into these periods where liquidity is contracting, we're in a bear market, things are ugly. They all kind of go down together. You see who's been swimming naked, and and nobody wants to admit that they really didn't do the due diligence. All they did is they jumped into it because their buddies were into it. But that's kind of how the venture capital world works, as far as I'm concerned. I'm a little jaded, but that that's my opinion of it. What about the Bitcoin venture capital world, Doctor Jeff? Anything good to say about that? I think, you know, Bitcoin makes people more discerning investors, right? Because it reprices everything. And you have to think really hard, like, do I want to part with my Bitcoin to buy this company? And almost every time you'll regret doing it, right? Because Bitcoin is going to outperform whatever country, whatever company you invested in. And so you either have to be doing it out of like goodwill, like you want this Bitcoin company to succeed, or you truly think it can outperform Bitcoin. I will be honest and say I've switched personally. I used to think that Bitcoin miners could outperform Bitcoin, but the more I study them, and obviously it's I'm biased now because we're in a bear market, but they have to be excellent capital allocators, right? They have to know when to make decisions like when to, when to buy miners. They have to have access to cheap energy and they have to maintain that access. All of that stuff is really hard. And so it's kind of skewed me or jaded me towards thinking that. So you know, I, I talked to Jeff Booth at, at, at length in L.A. a couple of weeks ago. Like he's doing awesome stuff. Ego Death Capital and there's other there's other VC firms that are starting to get into early stage Bitcoin companies. I'm all about it. I'm all for supporting it. I'd love to throw money at those companies and just support them. But I'm still not convinced that any of them will outperform Bitcoin over the long run. I asked Jeff Booth point blank that on Monday when we had him on this show. 
he says he thinks they will outperform Bitcoin. And so that remains to be seen. He's smarter than I am, so I'll, I'll trust his opinion. But, but you know, time will tell. Yeah, and the cycles that are backs for these Bitcoin-only companies, it's also a much shorter uh, time preference kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I want to be respectful of people's time too. You know, we said we'd have Hoddle here for an hour. We got about four minutes left. Real quick, before we do, Dylan and Sam, you guys are doing some just amazing work at Bitcoin Magazine Pro. A lot of deep dive analysis. You guys have, you know, are, we're one of the few people, I think, and there, there are others to give other people credit. Corey at Swan is another guy, but people who have, you know, seen the writing on the wall with lots of these crypto exchanges, you know, saw the FTX thing, saw what was going on in multiple places. What are, what are you guys working on right now? What, what, kind, of, what kind of insights can you offer for, for current Bitcoin Magazine Pro subscribers? What's the next domino? No, I, Who's uh, going? Yeah, no, I, I, we, we are currently working on a macro focus report today. That's with editors about to get shipped out. But yeah, I mean, we cover it all. Like we, we covered all the black jobs collapsing. We mentioned a few of the names beforehand, kind of, you know, before anything was confirmed. So we can't like make any explicit claims, but like, you know, the writing was on the wall for a lot of these things. We've, all, we've also been like, not to be one way another biased, but we've been like notably bearish Bitcoin the last six months and Bitcoin miners saying like hash price bear market where where hash rates going up, Bitcoin's price is going down. Like these equity valuations, ASICs, these minor collateralized loans, like they're all going to blow up, right? So so we we like to to hop in into all this stuff, but like I mean fundamentally, like Hoddle and I agree on on the thesis, right? Like. It's just, it's just a different way of expressing it to, you know, more numbers or finance type of crowd. Hey, so I got a question for you, Hoddle. This is be directed at you and then other people on the stage can take it too. I, I, I keep thinking about Ethereum and thinking about Vitalik and, you know, the dude has had some good ideas, but it's obviously built on this just, you know, they're trying to be a jack of all trades. And so they're a master of none. And I think it's ultimately going to lead to their demise. I think Ethereum appropriately went proof of stake because... You know, proof of stake. It's 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 centralizing. It's garbage over the over the long run. I, I keep thinking though, like, what if he would have done? What if he would have started out instead of trying to go out on his own with Ethereum? If he would have just done all of his projects and built it actually on Bitcoin? Like, what do you think about that? Do you think that he would have succeeded? Do you think there's merit in any of the projects that he works yeah. on on Ethereum if he would have built it on Bitcoin? What's your take on that? Yeah, you know, I mean, that was the original plan. Are you aware of that? So like originally Vitalik was going to build Ethereum on Bitcoin. And then there was basically a whole war about off returns. Me and Rob were talking about it last night. And, you know, the more people listen to Vitalik, early Bitcoiners, the more people realized he was full of shit. <laughs> Total. And, you know, Vitalik had like a whole crew of like, you know, the worst business people, you know, I'm using air quotes around him imaginable, like who were basically just con men, guys like Charles Hoskinson and you know, Joe Lubin, et cetera. And Vitalik has a tremendous, you know, ability to spew bullshit techno babble that sounds like it's real when it's actually just gibberish for anybody who understands. And so familiar. No, I don't think he would have been successful on Bitcoin because Ethereum has yet to produce a single meaningful application or product which has, you know, the like a, even a small amount of MAUs or DAUs, like basically, which is monthly actives or daily active users. There is no application that people are using. This thing is a shitcoin casino that creates new shitcoins for people to speculate on. That's all it does. That's the only reason for its existence. And you said uh, Vitalik might have had some good ideas. Name one, because I've never fucking heard one. 
I love it. Just just laying it out there. That's the best. Hey, so we're we're at the top of the hour. Final words from Hado. Like, where do you want to take this? What should people uh, be thinking about for the next couple months? What what are your final grand thoughts on Bitcoin? Yeah, let me think about this. The Bitcoin journey at core, I think, is at for for the individual. I think it's about you renegotiating your place in the world and in society. And collectively, it's about all of us, the young, the dispossessed, who are collectively renegotiating our place in society. And Bitcoin is a tool of, you know, asymmetric leverage from which to negotiate your position. And so basically, all of the people in your life who are telling you, you know, you're a loser, your Bitcoin position is never going to work out, you know, in some meaningful sense, because you're telling them to fuck off, right? <laughs> and like, well, you know, I, I chose to go the route of actually telling people to fuck off. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe just let Bitcoin do the talking for you. But like, if you were one of the people who was getting shit from one of your drunk uncles at Thanksgiving, don't worry because, you know, a year, two years from now, you'll have the last laugh. And, you know, you basically just have to build a belief in yourself, in your own conviction, and know that you're doing the right thing for you. And it doesn't matter what other people think or say. Most people are just giving you this sort of reflexive reaction based on the world around them, which is very conventional, and they don't really understand where the world is heading or what's going to happen in 10 years. Most people are you know, taken by surprise by as events unfold. Don't be one of the people that's taken by surprise as events unfold. Be one of the people that can understand where the puck is going and then skate to the puck. And if you can do that, you're going to do very well here. If you can't do that and you listen to other people, other people's opinions, and you act reactively and reflexively, towards the world around you, you're going to fail, you're going to end up with zero Bitcoin, and you're going to be a cautionary tale. So don't do that. I love it, bro. I put you on the spot to do a closing remarks and you and you have the just an ultimate closing statement. So thanks for that, man. Hoddle, it's just awesome having you on here. We really appreciate you. I know all of us here have, have a lot of respect for you and your views, and, and you've done a lot to shape the kind of Bitcoin ethos across Twitter across Clubhouse across lots of social media. So thank you for what you do. Keep keep doing it, and uh, and hopefully we can get you on here on some kind of a regular basis, maybe once a quarter or something. But uh, thanks for coming on today. Of course, man. I'm happy to be here, and I'm I'm happy to like learn from guys like you and Dylan, which is cool. It makes me feel like less alone. I feel like I have more good peers than ever before. And yeah, there may be only ten thousand of us, but soon a hundred, and then a million, and that's all we actually need. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Next next time we have you on, we'll talk about our minivans. I, I, share minivan stories mine's, there mine's you go. <laughs> just remember that cortez conquered mexico with 500 guys but he did it by burning the ship so that nobody had a plan b there was no going back home he he did have stainless steel and guns but I, that had we, nothing to do with it common misconception but, it was just but we have but, but matt we have bitcoin. we have bitcoin matt right i was waiting for the analogy I love it. Hey, thanks for coming on today. Hano, thanks for all the guests that came on too. And we'll we'll see you again next Monday. We'll do it again. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. I hope we can do this all in person in May 18th through the 20th in Miami for Bitcoin 2023. You can use code Satoshi to get 10% off your tickets. So thanks, everyone, for joining us. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. Bitcoin is for everyone. Lefties, righties, and rejectors of the false dichotomy alike.
And that is why the newest Bitcoin Magazine print edition is called the Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Nayib Bukele, Jeff Deist, Beauty On, Natalie Smolensky, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy at your local Barnes & Noble's bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at store.bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.